We're in a series we started last week, and it, this series is being, uh, we're, we're being joined by Grace Point in Northwood, Ohio, and also our Paulding campus. And uh, we also have a, a video venue that happens on Saturday night in Bloomville. We're all following this series along, and we left off last time in Luke 15, where Jesus told a couple of parables. He did it for a reason. And there's three parables in rapid succession. We covered the first two then, and it was about the lost sheep, lost coin. We actually had a sermon before that to launch the series. But, um, and now we're, now we're going to look at what Jesus says next, the third story, which is maybe the most famous parable Jesus ever told. And we'll find out uh, what what that means for us today, we want to get that. Remember, the context is that Jesus is hanging out, He is befriending and getting to know the wrong crowd, sinners, tax collectors, which were considered really rebels, traitors to the country. And as He's doing that, some religious types, the Pharisees, and the scribes, they're criticizing him for it. And in the midst of, he's there with these two groups, he tells these stories, and I want to pick it up here in Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. And, and this is a parable that kind of, it's a story that has two acts to it, act one, act two, so I want you to catch that. Verse 11, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went out and hired himself. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him to his fields to to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, "How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here." With hunger. Let's just take a break right there. So he's telling a story, and I think over the centuries it's lost its impact somewhat for us and helps us know a little bit about the culture. They're in a culture that very much honors fathers. It's a patriotic society, and uh, fathers are honored, held in high respect. And typically when a father died, if the sons were in good standing, they would receive an inheritance. The older son would actually receive a double portion of that inheritance. And so here this man has two sons. So the younger son very disrespectfully goes to the father and says, I want my stuff now. I don't want to wait around. I wish, it's like kind of like saying I wish you were dead. I want my stuff now. And... And everybody that hears this, they're waiting for what the father would typically reply would be, I disown you, hit the road, you're out of here. But surprisingly, the father doesn't react that way. 
As a matter of fact, he does just the opposite. And the people hearing the story could imagine the father, to the father's embarrassment, making this happen, liquidating assets to try to liquidate a third of his entire estate. And he does that, sells off land, property. It's embarrassing in the community. People know. And then he gives it to the younger son. And then, of course, it's not many days later, we know what the son does, right? He decides to split town, hits Vegas. And he is living the high life. And everything's great, it's just the way he wants it to be. And he burns through his stack of cash in no time. All his friends then are gone. This happens to coincide during a drought, a bad time in this country, so things get really scarce. The son begins to be in want. I mean, he's impoverished. He can't even feed himself. So he hires himself out to feed pigs, which this is a Hebrew son feeding pigs. is about the lowest thing he could do. And while he's feeding the pigs, he's realizing the pigs are eating better than I am. I wish I could fill up on what I'm feeding them. That's how bad it is. And then he comes to his senses and he realizes, what am I doing? I need to go back home. Even my father's servants are better off than I am. And so he makes this decision to go back and to, to, to reconcile. That brings us up to 18. Verse 18, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf. Kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Big deal. The big, big deal in this, uh, in this story. Son comes home. But the father is anticipating, he's waiting, he's wanting, longing for his son. While the son's a long way off, he can tell just by his son's walk on the horizon, that's my son. He doesn't wait for him to get home. He runs to him, embraces him, kisses him. Before the son can even say, he's got the prepared speech, he doesn't even get that out yet. And the father's already embracing him, welcoming him home. And then when he gets a chance to say anything, he says, Hey, Dad, I, I don't, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I, I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm sorry we're what I did. I just want to be like a hired hand. And by the way, notice hired hand, not slave or servant. It's actually a term here that seems to indicate what he was saying is, farm me out or in, in, intern me to somebody, apprentice me to somebody, and, then, and you'll get money for that, and that'll help pay back what I've done. So the son's repentant. He comes back. He wants to restore the relationship. And the father will have none of it. He can barely get this out. And the father's like, no, bring, bring the best robe. Bring a ring. Bring sandals. My, my son is home again. And he embraces him back, not as an indentured servant, not as a, a slave. He brings him back 
as his son. And he's excited about it. And it's cause for celebration. The fattened calf, first century Middle Eastern culture, they didn't eat a lot of meat. Meat was reserved for um, feasts, celebrations. Typically that was lamb or goat. The fattened calf, this is beef we're talking about. And when they, when they slaughtered beef, it was a big deal. This would be something that it's a public celebration. The whole village would be invited. And that's what happens. They start this major party and word spreads like wildfire through the village. Big time celebration. The lost son is home. And we, we see all that playing out. Now, the story could have been about just the one son. But there's more. It doesn't stop there. Act 2, beginning in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brothers come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, I've always, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So I want to break this story down that Jesus told and, and really just by answering three questions, same three questions we used last time, and that is, what is Jesus saying? Why is he saying it? How does that impact us? What is he saying? What's Jesus saying? Why is he saying it? How does that impact us? What's interesting is a lot of people call this the story of the prodigal son. But that's a misnomer. Or, or the story of the lost son. That's really wrong. How does the story start in verse 11? A man had two sons. It's a story about a younger son. We tend to focus on that. But it's a story about an older son also. And unless we look at the story as a whole, younger son and older son, we're going to miss what Jesus is trying to teach us and what the, Jesus was trying to teach them in the first century from the story. We all get the younger son. He disgraces his father. He leaves. He, amazingly, the father doesn't kick him out. Father gives him the money. He goes and he blows it. We all get that. We can picture that in his mind. But a little more difficult is where we look at the older son. Because we find out that even though he's there and even though he's obedient, that he is also alienated from the father. And, and we see that as it plays out. When the younger son comes, they start a celebration. They kill the fattened calf. It's a community-wide event. Everything's happening. 
older son refuses to go in. Why? Because he's mad. He resents it. He's like, Let, whoa, 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 what is happening here? I'm the guy that's been here doing all the work and obeying all the rules. And you've never even given me... A, Notice when he goes and the father finds he's not coming in, embarrassingly, the father leaves the party, comes out to plead. He begs with his son to come in. And did you catch how the son addresses him? Back in that culture, it would be father, something very respectful. That's not how the older son addresses the father. He says, look, I've been doing all this all this time. Hey, you've never even given me a young Young goat, so I can party with my friends, yet the fattened calf, you got to be kidding me. For this reprobate, you're what? And we see him, his reaction and what's, what's going on there. You've never thrown me a party. You know, the older son is rejecting the actions of the father. So that's what's happening in the story. Then the next question is, why is Jesus saying, that's what Jesus is saying, why is Jesus saying it? Remember, this is the third story. And it's really about the father and his heart to reconcile the lost back to himself, specifically his two sons. But, but check this out. This story challenges what nearly everyone thinks about being right with God. This story is a bombshell that, G, that Jesus gives here. It, it's a parable that reveals the heart of the gospel. Now remember, there's two groups of people that, that are in the hearing of Jesus as he tells these stories, right? We were told that back in verses 1 and 2. Let's go back there. Verse 1, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him. So Tax collectors and sinners, all the wrong side of the track people, they're all intrigued by what Jesus is saying. They're not put off by Jesus. Jesus is befriending them, interacting with them, eating with them. And then there's another group on this scene. In verse 2, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man, talking about Jesus, receives sinners and he eats with them. He's hanging out with them. He seems to like them. So sinners, tax collectors who are considered traitors to Israel, Pharisees and scribes, the, the, the religious Jewish leaders. And so Jesus is telling this parable about these two sons. And as he does it, as both groups hear the story, he's really trying to communicate the heart of the gospel, the true gospel, to each group in the story so that they will hear it and, and get where they're at and, and understand what, what Jesus is saying to them. The Father represents God. We all get that. And I got to tell you, the tax collectors and the sinners, hey, they knew who they were. They knew that they were violating God's standards. They could easily see themselves in the story. They're the younger son, right? They get that. But it's about two sons. And it's the, the older son in the story that may be not so easy to figure out. But really, I believe these two sons, in one sense, they represent the two grids by which people typically live their life. 
you got the moral conformists, and then you have the, what do you call it, the, the people that are all about self-discovery and freedom. You have the rule followers and the rule breakers. You get what I'm saying? It's just kind of two ways to approach life, the, the moralistic and the relativistic, if you want to hear it that way. But the point is this, people with two different grids on how to be happy, how they think the world would be better off, and how they're going to find happiness would be, one is we keep the rules, we keep it within the boundaries, and then our life doesn't self-destruct. The other is, hey, we're free spirits, we do our own thing, we, we just go for it spontaneously, haphazardly, we make it happen, whatever works. And Jesus is talking, and both groups are represented there. And slowly, this group, the moralistic crowd, they start realizing they're showing up in this story. They're the older brother. And I think it's even possible for people to slip from one group to the other. But the point is, two different groups of people. Older brothers, they don't miss church on times, Time Change Sunday. You know, they're here. We don't know where the younger brothers are. You know, they're gone. They're in bed. They're still sleeping because they were out late because they're, you know, irresponsible. They, they just, they free spirits. Go to a different tune. And Jesus is laying this out. And, and so we get while the why the younger son is alienated from God. The question is, why is the older son alienated from God? You see, the older son is not alienated from God in spite of his obedience. The older son is alienated from the father representing God because of his obedience. Because the older son thinks that his obedience obligates the father to reward him or to do good by him. So he's earned what the father gives. But get this, neither son wants a relationship with the father. Both sons want the father's stuff. They want to control the father's stuff without having a relationship with the father. And, and you can see this in the story. Where's the, where's the elder son? Well, number one, he's not with the father. He's out doing his work. He's being obedient. And then even when he's arguing with the father, what does he say? Hey, I've never even gotten a goat, a young goat, not to celebrate with the family. What? To celebrate with my friends. He doesn't want to celebrate with, with dad. He wants to do his own thing. And so these are two groups of people, two grids who really want the same thing, the father's things, but neither one of them want the father. Neither one of them share the father's heart is kind of what's happening. So how does what Jesus is saying here in this parable, how does that impact you and me? Well, first of all, as we see the context, searching the lost, is, is we see that God has the heart of a father. Who, who wants to reconcile his children. Doesn't force them, wants them. He has the heart of a shepherd to seek the lost. 
And a lot of times in churches across our country today, many times churches are filled with older brother types. And older brother types can often resent and be grumpy and gripey about the energy and the money and the fuss about reaching the lost. Because they're obedient and they kind of look down on people that don't have their act together as much. And I'll just give you an example of that right now. We built a youth center. We've been in it for about a year now. We had a huge influx of teenagers, which caused us some issues on Wednesday night. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Caused some issues. Don't even have to raise your hand. I gotcha. Caused us some issues on Wednesday night. But we kept inviting and we kept bringing. And actually, we've been doing this for years. Why? Because we want to impact young people. Why? Because we want them to have Christ. We want them to grow up and have families who are also pointing people to Christ. As a matter of fact, I've got to share, share a story. I'll share you a story. You know, I could share stories of people who came to Christ recently, and there are a lot. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But instead, I'd like to share a story of somebody who came to Christ 15 years ago as a young person, as a teenager. This is Jamie. Hi, my name is Jamie. I've been attending Grace for about 15 years now. I know God is real because of how he's worked through my life. I grew up in a broken home. My dad was incarcerated for 13 years and my mom was a single mom with four kids. No one would rent to her, so we moved around a lot. We lived with my grandparents off and on and I spent some of my childhood in foster care. I wasn't a bad kid overall. I didn't get in trouble at school. I just had a really bad attitude towards my mom and my stepdad. We didn't really talk about matters of the heart or feelings in my family, so I was really good at stuffing everything. No one in my family knew Jesus personally or had a right relationship with God. We didn't attend church growing up. God placed people in my life who invited me to church, but I never really heard the message of Jesus while I was there. I was never really opposed to God. I just didn't have a full understanding of who he was and what he was like. I had questions like, what's the difference between God and Jesus, and how do I look something up in the Bible? When I was a sophomore in high school, I was invited to Wednesday night youth group here at Grace. Pastor Harold, who is now the campus pastor at Grace Point in Northwood, was the youth pastor. Something about Grace just drew me in. The music wasn't boring and the message was relevant. I was really curious to learn more about God, the Bible, and how it applied to my life. I kept attending and I heard the message of salvation and I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I discovered that even though I wasn't a bad kid, I still wasn't good in the eyes of God. I really was yearning for that unconditional love and acceptance and feeling like I needed to fit in somewhere. And I found all of those things in personally knowing Jesus Christ. I had a lot of pain and hurt build up in my life. It felt really good to know I had a God who listened to me and loved me. I could talk to him about anything and I could seek his wisdom through his word in the Bible. When I accepted Christ, I got a Bible and started reading it. I made church a priority and I started attending a Bible study. Over time, God softened my heart and my attitude started to diminish. 
At school, before class started, I would meet with a group of friends and we would pray every day. The decision to accept Christ continues to infiltrate into my life in every area. I grew up with the mentality of, I don't need a man and I don't need to respect a man. Now, because of my relationship with Christ, I choose to do marriage God's way. My husband is the leader of our household and we choose to grow our kids God's way in the church. We also serve in the church regularly. I've also found a great group of ladies within the church who I do life with and who point me to be a better follower of Christ every day. Currently at Grace, we're in a series called Lost and Found. As a teen, I was lost. Here at Grace, there were people who cared enough about me and my relationship with Christ that they sacrificed their time and money to make sure that I could get to church while knowing that I could never repay them. People were also gracious enough to donate money so that I could attend retreats. My story is proof that because the love of Jesus was made tangible through people in our church, I once was lost, but now I'm found. A couple things about Jamie. Number one, I knew she was sick. We had asked her to come in and share her story, and I knew she was sick all week long. She still came in and did it, even though she didn't feel good, and that's just Jamie. I remember when I first knew her, um, because of a circumstance, I was invited over to her home and stopped by one night. And when, when I did that, I was kind of surprised and a little concerned for her regarding her environment there, but I was also amazed. I was amazed that Jamie was in the center of this, she's right here, this huge <laughs> extended family. Didn't know you were so close. <laughs> she was part of this huge extended family as a young teenager, and they all looked to her for spiritual leadership. I'll never forget that. How she, as a young lady, a young teenager, was impacting her family. Really, uh, I think the only believer in her family at the time, impacting them for God. You know, yeah, you, you can, since she's here, yeah. And I hope you're feeling better. That's then, and here's now. In the last 12 or 13 months since we opened our youth center, 91 students have indicated to us that they've received Christ as their personal Savior. 91 students from our community. And that's why we make, that's why all of us together make sacrifices, build buildings, hire people to make an impact. That's why we send out mailers like this week that should be hitting everyone's mailbox, all your neighbors, all your friends in our area. It's, a, it's an expense. It's just one way that we're trying to reach out. That's why we print up invite cards. Just make it easier for you to invite somebody to come, a friend, a, a relative, somebody you know that needs to grow closer to God. That's why next Sunday is such a big, big, big deal to us. Because we want to share the Father's heart. We want to make an impact. 
and, and that's been our DNA for years. Um, so we send a, a mailer out, and what we're trying to do is say, hey, we want to help you with relationships, family, any kind of relationships. We want to help you with that. We want to give you tools from the Bible to make those relationships better. And we want to deliver on that. But while we're doing that, we also want to make sure that they understand about the most important relationship in their life, and that is the relationship that they can have with God. We want to share that good news, that gospel with them. We, we get that, how's this impacting us? Lost people matter to God. And also, we get that uh, the gospel, the true gospel, it's just as offensive to older brothers as it is to younger brothers. It's an amazing story that Jesus tells here. Act one, younger son asks for his inheritance. All the listeners are expecting, as I said, the father to, to kick him out to disown him. Oh, oh, you want to leave? Leave. You're not taking anything. You want me? You, you wish I was dead? I wouldn't be in your way? Get out of here. The father doesn't respond that way. The father endures the indignity of giving that inheritance to his son and then welcome, and after it's all gone, welcomes him back. And, and the sinners in the crowd, the, the tax collectors, they get it. But then act two. This story about the other crowd that were there, the Pharisees and the scribes, the Jewish leaders, you know, they're hearing this, and, and it's all playing out, and they, they sort of, they get the older brother's resentment and indignation. I actually heard this week, I was talking to someone, and they told me that they heard this taught, another, uh, another religious background. They heard this taught that this was about an imperfect father and a righteous older brother. That's not what Jesus is saying here. This brother comes in. He, he doesn't respectfully address the father. All this is the father's to do as he pleases until he dies. And the other brother's offended. And, and you know the Pharisees and scribes, they can relate to that. They're offended that Christ is over there. And they're waiting for the story. And when they see the disrespect of the older brother, they're waiting, same thing, they're waiting for the father to disown him. Okay, oh, you don't want to come in? You want to embarrass me publicly? Just get out of here. You want to tell me how to run things? Hit the road. That's what they're expecting. But the father loves the older son too. And he lavishes the same kind of love on him. And he goes out, he goes to him, embarrassing. And he pleads with him, come in to the celebration. Everything I have is yours. But we've got to celebrate. It's not just my son, he's your brother. He's come home. There's cause for celebration. And then when he gets to that point in the story, 
the Pharisees and the scribes, they're leaning in, okay? Father's gone out to meet him. What happens? Is he going to be restored? The younger brother was restored. Are there, is their relationship going to be mended? Is the brother going to be restored to brother, the, the older to the father? Is the family going to be all restored together? And they're waiting for the finale. They're waiting for the end. And what happens? The story ends right there. And it's left with us not knowing how the older brother is going to respond. Why would Jesus do that? Because he's communicating something to the Pharisees and the scribes. How are you going to respond to the Father who celebrates when lost people are restored? And no doubt they're reacting. Probably some of them were infuriated, mad, angry. They didn't like it. No warm, fuzzy ending here left hanging. Some are maybe scratching their heads and doing a little self-reflection. What's Jesus teaching? How does that impact us? You've got to have a heart for the loss. And by the way, there's one more thing. Because these stories were told, one, two, three, lost sheep, shepherd goes out, searches. Lost coin, woman searches, searches, searches. Son leaves, Nobody goes to search for the son. A little surprising. It's like he's telling this story and there's something missing. Don't know if you ever thought about that, but there's no big old search for the son. And we kind of get that if somebody's leaving, not much you can do. But then the father welcomes him in. And, and by the way, there's a cost to that. The son no longer gets an inheritance. But he's, he's offering to come back as a hired hand, to be hired out, maybe earn some income for the family in, in his act of repentance. But the father's like, no, you're a son. I'm restoring you as a son. Ring, sandals, robe, you're a son. And we're thinking, well, how, how could have, how would we might expect the story? Go? Well, we might have expected that somebody would search. Well, who would that be? Well, it could have been the older brother. If you really had if he shared his father's heart, he would see the grief of his father over his little brother's sin. And he might say, hey, dad, I, I know my brother's been foolish. He's probably out of money about now, and I'm going to go find him, and I'm going to bring him home. He doesn't do that. Doesn't even sound like he wants him home. And ironically, the person telling this story is Jesus Christ the Jewish rabbi who stands between these two groups who, by the way, is the true older brother who has come to earth as a human being to search and seek us who are lost and need to be reconciled to the Father. And, and he offers us this reconciliation at great cost to himself I mean, who pays the cost? Well, the father did, but also the older brother did. I mean, everything the father has is coming to him. That's why he's so mad about the calf. But the true older brother, he gives us his robe, he gives us his ring, he gives us 
his sandals. Jesus gives us his righteousness to restore us to the Father if we will only repent, young or old. That's what the true gospel is all about. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you that uh, the life you've given us, and Lord, we thank you that we could come together at grace and rub shoulders with other believers. And we thank you for those who might be standing here who aren't believers yet. We're, we're glad that they're here too. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to make your message clear to people, that they would understand that they're sinners alienated from the Father, just like all of us have been, and that you're offering them a way home at great cost through the death of your Son. And God, we thank you for that greatest gift and allowing us to receive it, not by works, not by doing stuff, not by earning it, simply through faith, through belief, through trust. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to be effective at reaching others, especially this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for being here. See you next Sunday. Big weekend coming.